If you look at the companies that make this stuff, they're chemical providers. The flavor is meant to replicate something natural, but it is made of everything but something natural. CBD is ubiquitous these days. You can buy it in all forms, like bombs, drops, oils, and gummies, and its popularity has grown so much that grocery stores now carry it. Today's guest has capitalized on this emerging market. Nick Miller co-founded Good Day, a company that sells CBD-infused coffee, tea, and seltzer water, because is it even 2019 if seltzer water isn't somehow involved? In this episode, we discuss his move from Facebook to entrepreneurship, the benefits of CBD, and how this hemp-derived miracle substance has made room for greater acceptance of natural anxiety and pain management. Actually first moved to the West Coast of San Francisco, I uh, took a job at Facebook. Uh, so Facebook moved me to San Francisco, uh, did just under a year in San Francisco, and then Facebook asked me to move to Seattle. Uh, the team that I worked for was based in Seattle, and the VP that I worked for was like, would you be willing to move up here? What was it? Was it a different job or a different team? Same job, same team, but most of the team was actually based in Seattle. They had just, once they moved me to San Francisco, they had hired me there because that's headquarters. Mm -hmm. uh, and then eventually they were like, will you move up here? They hired a new like product VP that would run all of the, the I worked on the games team. Uh, they would run that, and he was in Seattle also. And they were like, "Hey, will you move up here?" Mm -hmm. I was first. I was like, "No, I haven't. I've barely been here a year. San, I'm in San Francisco, not moving." Uh, but I was going up there about a week a month anyway. And basically, what happened? I was up there one time. I was like, "You know what? Let me just look at some apartments, like see what it would be like to actually live here." And I realized that rent was. 50% of what it was in San Francisco. That was a new one. My question. Yeah. Was... So rent was 50%. Then everyone reminded me that there's no state income tax in Washington. And the city and the office there is actually in the city uh, versus I was living in San Francisco and commuting to Menlo Park, which was on average three hours a day commuting, hour and a half each way. Okay. Oh my uh, God. So I would, you know, I would leave for work at 7.30 or 8.00. And I'd get home at 8.30 or 9 because I was in the office for 10 hours plus three hours commuting. So, like, Did you I wasn't see really, the city at all? I, wasn't, I was going to say, except on the weekends, I wasn't even really enjoying San Francisco anyway. Uh, and then I found out you get paid the same. Rent, our rent was barely over half for the pretty much the exact same thing in Seattle, what it was in San Francisco. It's not like Seattle's cheap, right? It was... <laughs> Just, no, San Francisco's San Francisco's so expensive, yeah. exactly. And there's no state income tax. And my entire team was there. So it was easier for my, instead of traveling there a week a month, all my travel then became to, like, I went for a couple days a month maybe to San Francisco. And then it was interesting travel. I was, like, spending time in Southeast Asia and Latin America and stuff like that, which was way better. Yeah. Uh, saved way more money. And turned out we, both Faith and I, liked Seattle way more than San Francisco anyway. <laughs> I've not been to Seattle. Pacific Northwest is really high on my travel list, but well, I mean, well, I've been to San Francisco. It's awesome. It's so expensive. Yeah. It, but what, what it's crazy what expensive. Like um, you know, I think the other thing with San Francisco, like I worked in the tech industry. I was at Facebook. I had been in tech when I was here and that's one of the reasons I moved out there. But literally everyone is in tech everyone is talking about that the startup they're at or what they're doing at google or whatever the case may be and it just gets old Sounds really <laughs> there's boring. like no diversity whatsoever uh the best part about san francisco was actually when we were able to get out of san francisco like 
it was really easy to get to Napa. You can drive 15 minutes and be in the Marine Headlands from a runner. So being up there is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like you're close to Yosemite, you're close to, um, you know, Big uh, Big Sur and stuff like that. So that was really nice. But I wasn't really enjoying San Francisco most of the time because I was commuting so much anyway. The microclimate thing is cool. Yeah. The, can, it's like I, summer, right? Right outside. Like yes. You cross the bay so, even within the city of San Francisco, like if you're south on the south side of the city, like in the Mission, it might be bright and sunny and 75. And then if you're on the north side, like in North Beach or something, it'll be overcast and 62 degrees. It's like even within the city because of the hills and the way it sits on the bay mm-hmm. is pretty crazy. But it's Seattle is a little bit like that, too. Mostly, you know, in the winter, it's 50 and rainy in Seattle. Uh, it's never raining hard. It's just overcast it's and misting all the time. All the time. But you can drive 30 minutes out, like, east of Seattle, and you're in the mountains, and it's snow, and it's beautiful, and there's skiing, snowboarding, started snowshoeing all the time, like, all this cool stuff what that you can do. What does snowshoeing entail? Snowshoeing is basically hiking, but in deep snow-covered like trails. Rockets. So you have these snowshoes, which, one, are surface area, right? But, two, also have crampons on them so that you can actually get traction on the snow. Okay. Um, so it's just, like, kind of harder hiking, <laughs> I guess. But there's terrible. In the mountains, there's it's, – it's really pretty, though, yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah. in the mountains, there's so much snow and so much you couldn't access otherwise. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the best things about the Pacific Northwest in general is it's beautiful, right? Like, there's so much green. On a clear day in Seattle, we could see – Olympic National Park, Mount Olympia, Mount Baker, Mount Rainier, and all the way down to Mount Hood. Amazon and Microsoft are there, so there's still lots of tech. Uh, even in tech, it's hilarious. When you told someone you work for like Facebook, it was refreshing to them that you weren't at Amazon, basically. If you weren't at Amazon, it was exciting. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's still lots of people that do lots of other things. It's not all tech. San Francisco was all tech, and it got old really fast. Sure. Um, so so how, did, how did... Um... How did CBD and LA sort of steal you away from what sounds like a pretty good deal up there? Yeah, it was great. I think uh, I actually loved working at Facebook. It was a it was a really great experience. I worked with some really smart people. I worked on I've been a, was a gamer my whole life, and I worked on a games product like live game streaming and stuff like that. Um, but ultimately, I found myself getting very comfortable. You know, coming from a background of starting a company before, you know, running it for five plus years, ultimately the company was sold. I found that if I'd stayed at Facebook much longer, I would have gotten into that situation where I probably never would have left. Like, you know, you get a nice equity package. It starts to add up. You start to get very comfortable. I worked hard, but it's a different lifestyle. Do you know like the typical like lifespan of a Facebook employee? I mean, given all the perks... It's, I don't know what the actual, they, I'm sure they have stats on it. I sure, don't know yeah. what the actual number is. And if it was like common knowledge. But it people... is, it is very, it's long. Mm-hmm. And they go to great lengths to, um, both from a compensation standpoint and from a, a perks and lifestyle standpoint to get people to never want to leave. I, I can only imagine if that was your first job out of college, how you could ever go anywhere else other than maybe like a Google. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know because... Like, you can literally drop your laundry off in the building, and they have people that do your laundry and your dry cleaning, right? It's kind of crazy, um, all the perks and things that just make your life – their goal is to make your life easier. What they figured out is, you know, especially at a company that size, hiring is hard and it's expensive. So even giving away all these perks, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, cooked there at, you know, at campus, um, is still cheaper than 
having a higher turnover rate and trying to hire more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's pretty phenomenal from that standpoint. And well, also, and just, the goodwill of having employees, like talking about how how oh, one yeah. of theirs employers. I mean, you can't. That's that's got to be worth a ton yeah, of money. Yeah, it's it's the reason that companies like Facebook and Google set up offices in Seattle because they're able to, you know, Amazon and Microsoft and these companies bring tons of talent to that city, um, but aren't as known for the sort of lifestyle and work experience that you get at some other tech companies. So they're able to hire a lot. I worked with a lot of ex-Amazon and Microsoft people. And those are great companies to work for. So you have to imagine to get all of those people to come over yeah. is, you know, it says something about the company. Sure. But I found but myself... Still, yeah, you were... Yeah, so I was getting... I personally was just getting complacent and comfortable, and I knew that if I didn't go out and do something again soon, it would get harder and harder over time, basically. Um, So what I was looking for, I was starting to sort of brainstorm new business ideas, think about what I wanted to do, and I was looking, you know, at this point in my life to go do something that I actually, you know, believed in or cared about, and uh, I'll tell you about where the CBD came came from first, which is I... uh, have been on and off essentially an endurance runner. So run ultra marathons, uh, you know, eight plus hour obstacle course races, ultras, nope. things like that. <laughs> no, thank uh, you. And when I have been in, I'm out of shape right now, but when I've been in the peak of my training, I try everything to keep myself from getting hurt. So I've done, you know, dry needling, uh, cupping, infrared, uh, cryotherapy. It all works or helps to How different degrees. cryotherapy? I'm curious about uh, that. Cryotherapy, I actually really like it. It's one of the things that I'd say helped me. I was doing it a couple times a week when I was training heavily, particularly after really long runs. Mm-hmm. Like you go out and you run 20 miles and you have to run 15 miles the next day. Uh, it's really great. And it's it's never going to be as good as an ice bath, but it's uh, much faster and much less painful. Sure. <laughs> uh, so like, actually, when I lived in Baltimore and was training, I used to go to Charm City uh, health over in Canton and do it all the time. So you can, yeah, so you can do it here. Uh, and it's a lot cheaper here than it is in like LA too. Uh, so (laughs) it was really nice actually. Uh, and I know they actually do a lot of like local athletes and football players and stuff too. But so all of those things did something, but I had the one problem that I actually had consistently when I am endurance running is it band issues. So lots of stretching hip stuff, uh, you know, the pain would manifest in my knee. Uh, but one of the things that actually helped was, you know, CBD and, and cannabis in general have widely known sort of anti-inflammatory properties. Mm-hmm. So using CBD cream back way before it was popular when I was running uh, on my IT band in my leg was one of the things that I actually felt helped me. Where did you find it before it was ubiquitous? It was so I used to get I used to work in California a lot too, so okay. it was easier to yeah. get out there. Um, but it's always been kind of if you were looking for it, it's always kind of been available on the internet, or at least as far back as I know, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, and it was sort of popular in this niche, like endurance sport community, mm-hmm. because people do try all kinds of stuff to help heal their bodies. Um, so that's kind of where I found out about it, and I started trying it, and I was like, wow, this actually works. Uh, And that's how I initially sort of thought about the space. And when I initially was considering going into it, I actually was thinking about sort of sports performance and recovery. Like most recovery drinks are either taste terrible or are filled with not only the good things you need to replenish your body, like electrolytes, but also sugar or if not sugar, fake sugar, erythritol, stevia, like all that stuff to try to make them taste better. 
and aren't really actually that healthy. Is there something you could eat instead of drink it? Or does it have to be like yeah, so kind you, of specific? You can. I mean, and it's just a matter of all this could be done like naturally through real foods too. It's just much harder. Like when you walk out of a race to go and eat a bunch of things that would replenish all of your electrolytes and all of your you know, uh, like everything you lost. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's more work. And gotcha. the sports drink industry is big. And that's why, you know, you see a Gatorade or a Fit Aid or whatever. Mm-hmm. And more and more, it's gotten better. But especially when I was looking at it, there wasn't a lot out there. And sort of coincidentally, when I was thinking about doing this and a couple of other business ideas, I had gone uh, to New York for work and was meeting up just to catch up with the investor in my last company in Parking Panda that was based here in Baltimore Mm -hmm. uh, and was telling me about a couple of different business ideas. And when I said that, he stopped me and he was like, have you talked to Warner lately? Warner is uh, one of my co-founders at Good Day. And I was like, you know, when we're in the same city, we kind of catch up, but I haven't talked to him much. He was like, you got to call him. I talked to him literally three days ago and he said something very similar to me. Uh, So... (laughs) I was like, wow, that's super weird. Mm-hmm. But uh, I texted him and, you know, we got on the phone a couple of days later and he was like, yeah, I literally have been, he was at, he had sold his last company to Cisco Foods and was thinking about leaving Cisco at the time to go do something very similar. So we started talking about it and we ultimately landed on uh, not sports performance, but what we do, what we're doing now, which is coffee, tea, and water, mm-hmm. uh, more because they're generally ubiquitous drinks that function throughout your entire day every day sure. rather than you know only for performance athletes the one percent right? of the one percent exactly can do what you do yeah whereas like i drink you know i was never i wasn't a coffee drinker until recently but now you know people drink coffee or multiple coffees every day sparkling water is a huge uh, trend in the ready to drink world and you know chamomile tea is obviously ubiquitous as well mm-hmm. and we were trying to pick things that not only were popular but generally suited sort of our vision for what people sort of want and need going forward as well, which was one really healthy, clean ingredients. So all of everything we make is minimal ingredients, healthy, like our coffee is fair trade organic coffee. It's a custom blend, filtered water and CBD, and that's it. Uh, Even our sparkling water, where a lot of people use natural flavors, right, which is essentially... Apparently it can mean anything. Yeah, so yeah. we actually have a, a food scientist we work with to help formulate some of our drinks. I was going to ask you, how do you, because you, you know what you're doing before is so different from this. Yeah. So how do you get into that world? I mean, how do you find the best people and the right people that can produce what you actually want and be up to yeah. your standards? So a little bit of it is trial and error. A little bit of it is, you know, as you get to know the industry, it's relationship based. And, you know, I had been in the tech world. Warner, though he was at Cisco and, and has a lot of a knowledge of sort of the food and industry space was also more on the tech side he'd sold a technology company to them mm-hmm. our third co-founder who also from baltimore all three of us are from baltimore but you didn't know uh, that right i did not know yeah. that uh I, I knew it before we started the business together but i did not know it when we met in new york so we had no idea originally uh was actually in the food and beverage space uh so he had a finance background but had lived in miami working for uh running and working for a cold press juice company for a while that sold uh, like, like had set up in Whole Foods and actually was now running finance at a large co-packer in the New York metro area for food and beverage. So that was a pretty good end. Yeah, yeah. So he knew a lot of people and, you know, sort of brings the, you know, my background is mostly in 
sort of consumer products and operations. Warner's background is more in sales and marketing. And then he has the sort of the finance and food and beverage background. So it was like a nice, well-rounded thing. But yeah, you have to find people that are experts in this. Sure. And we we worked with someone to help. Coffee was easy, right? We found really great high-end coffee and, you know, use a custom brew and it tastes delicious. But for something like sparkling water, it's a little more work. And Mm -hmm. if you're using... uh, a, a sort of more natural organic CBD extract, it has a flavor as well. It, it has a bit of a grassy, a bit of a bitter flavor to it, which I'll call it acquired, but most people, if they tasted it straight, wouldn't really want to keep drinking it. Uh, so you're trying to find this balance between having a really delicious drink and well, a healthy one. Is most CBD flavor... I have like CBD drops mm-hmm. and one had... A, it's, I think there was a, like a flavor, but the other one there wasn't and it just kind of tasted like weed. Yeah, so it's a little bit like that. Yeah. So there's – we could talk a little bit more about CBD, but there's really generally – there's lots of different types and lots of different things. But typically, you'll see either a CBD isolate or a CBD extract. Okay. Isolate is where you basically go into the hemp plant where all the cannabinoids exist. because there are almost 200 cannabinoids. CBD is one of the most prevalent and one of the most known in its effects. Uh, and you actually just – isolate that and remove it from everything else. For a CBD isolate, you get more of a colorless, flavorless, and odorless sort of experience from it. Uh, But what you lose is sort of the, what people call the entourage effect often, which basically means it's only CBD. So you get the effects of CBD, but people, you know, are still researching this, but generally believe that having the presence of some of the other naturally occurring cannabinoids enhance the uh, effects. So when you use an extract, it's not just removing everything else and having only CBD. You get those very small amounts, but you get other naturally occurring uh, cannabinoids. So that actually tends to have more of a taste, though. That's where you'll get the drink. Like if you put it in water, it would look a little cloudy. Mm -hmm. It has a color to it. It has a little bit of an odor to it, and it has that... Uh, sort of weed mm-hmm. <laughs> taste that you're talking about, right? Okay. Which is that grassy, bitter taste. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, most people don't really like that taste. I do. <laughs> so some people do. And I actually I think, like bitter. I, like I actually think I've and... drank enough of it now where it's almost like when you, the first time you have a beer and you don't really like it and eventually it grows on you, are like, wow, it's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. So I think more of that will happen. Well, it's also going in tandem with it making you feel good. So yes. there's probably yeah, <laughs> something sure to be said you about get, that. You, know, you associate that in your mind eventually. Uh, but one of the... One of the things you still want to do is, like, you want to have a drink that's healthy, but you also want to have something that tastes really good. Uh, and, you know, for a lot of people, they don't like that that bitter taste. So you're trying to, you know, for sparkling water, especially if you just put carbonated water and CBD in a drink, it, for most people, wouldn't taste very good. Which is why a lot of the beverages out there today have tons of sugar, or if not sugar, fake sugar. Mm -hmm. So you'll see a lot of erythritol, a lot of stevia, a lot of things to try to mask that, or a lot of natural flavors, right? And we actually asked the person, the the food scientist we work with, what what are natural flavors? Mm -hmm. He goes, I don't even know. I I don't know what they are. (laughs) I read an article about LaCroix where they were saying, they say they have natural flavors, and then they won't explain what that means. And and so the the author of the piece was like, I don't think that they know what it means. I no. think that they were it's, just told it's natural. And I mean, if you look at the companies that make this stuff, they're essentially chemical com- providers, mm-hmm. right? It's 
anything but the flavor is meant to replicate something natural, but it is made of everything but something natural, essentially. Yeah. (laughs) Uh And, you know, we wanted to steer clear of that, right? Uh, One, I think consumers are getting smarter and realizing that it is not natural and it's chemical and want to know what they're putting in their bodies. Sure. Uh, Two, it, it... just doesn't it doesn't taste as good as something real while you can get something that is zero calories and still tastes pretty good like a Lacroix, it's not the same as having something that's real juice so we went more of a uh with our upcoming our sparkling water is not out yet it's coming out in hopefully about six weeks or so uh we went with more of a spindrift type of uh profile if you've ever had a spindrift before yeah a couple calories yeah so you know it has 30 calories maybe five grams of sugar but it's made with real juice or juice concentrate so it's like it's basically like you took a sparkling water poured actual juice into it and then added cbd mm-hmm. so when you look at the back of the can all you're going to see is you know a couple it's citrus flavored so you're gonna see like an, a mandarin orange juice a grapefruit a lime a little vitamin c and then cbd and water and that's it right so great both for myself like i said coming from an in, sort of an endurance sports background and and warner is uh very much health conscious he he's keto uh, intermittent fasting very knowledgeable about sort of the gut health world and everything it was really important to us to have something that would sort of fit our lifestyles but also the lifestyles that we think people are moving toward which tend to be healthier um, but also was still delicious and that you'd still want to drink every day so we went kind of through a lot of work and a lot more effort than maybe most other people would to try to have both of those and still be able to combine cbd right. um you know, it's... Does the CBD just kind of get dropped in or is it a, is it like a process? Yeah. So it's, it's not too complicated, but basically our, without going into all the detail that even I don't understand, Mm -hmm. uh, our CBD is, and this would be true of other ingredients too, is a nano emulsion. So basically they take the CBD and they suspend it in a, uh, water soluble oil, which for us is just coconut oil. So it's, so so little oil that it wouldn't even like if you had a nut allergy it it wouldn't even affect you mm-hmm. uh but it's suspended in a coconut oil and that allows so when you pour it into a batch of coffee for example uh it doesn't like rise to the top or sink to the bottom right and it actually fully dissolves in the beverage ah, okay. that way like you know even if it's sitting on a shelf it's not like sinking to the bottom or right, something like right. that. You can drink it and it'll... Yeah, you know, it'll be like shaking yeah, up a seltzer exactly. water. Explodes, right. Oh, cool. Okay. And then um, I know, you know, with weed, it's state to state and it's kind of crazy. And some states are far, far, far more advanced than others. <laughs> um, but is CBD, does it have similar regulations or is it... Yeah, so CBD is in easier? a bit of a strange place right now in that it is both more and less regulated. Uh, and what I mean by that is so... The farm bill that passed in December of last year made hemp federally legal as a as a crop. So you can, you know, have a hemp farm registered through the farm bill with the federal government all over the country. Many of them are in like ours comes from Colorado. Uh, you know, there are a lot in Oregon, but they're elsewhere as well. And that is no longer a schedule one drug. It is completely legal. You can grow it, extract it, sell it, do whatever you want with it. The part that is still, I guess, being regulated is the best way to put it. Wait, hold on, wait. Let me back you up there. So you're saying in any state I could, like, grow a weed plant if I was only using it for CBD? So. Or marijuana plant, excuse me. 
so they're both from the can- so CBD and THC are naturally occurring cannabinoids. Right. Uh, they're different, and they're both from the cannabis plant, but they're different types of cannabis plants. Okay. So hemp is a specific strain of the cannabis plant that n- naturally has extremely low, almost no THC in it. So if you got a hemp gotcha. plant and you okay. like just took it off the branch and tried to smoke it, you'd still get almost no THC. I think the federal, don't quote me here, but I believe the federal limit on it is 0.03%. Okay. So these plants have almost no THC in okay, them so when you could, naturally occurring. You could grow those specific plants exactly. and, and, and be under the radar and everything's cool. Or yeah, above so board, you do, I mean. you are, yeah. yeah, above board. Yeah. You, you, you register with, you know, kind of like you do for lots of different crops, but you register through the farm bill with the federal government and then totally above board. Cool. Uh, you can okay. have a legal farm. And that's all of our products come from farm bill certified farms. And though there's no organic certification for it yet, they actually all use organic growing methods as well. So no herbicides, no pesticides, none of that stuff. Uh, And do that totally above board. The thing that is still sort of being regulated is the use of CBD or, or, you know, hemp extracts. uh, Because like I said, these more full spectrum ones are truly hemp extracts with mostly CBD uh, in food and beverage. Mm. The FDA actually has publicly come out and said that they're in the process. They're basically have a, a focus group, essentially a, a group of industry experts and FDA regulators that have started meeting on it and are actually meeting regularly on it over the next several months so that they can come out with recommended guidelines for how it can, cannot, should, or should not be and used in food and beverage and what the, um, specific things like labeling requirements are for that, uh, which, you know, in my opinion, is a good thing. Uh, from a business standpoint, it's an opportunity in that, yes, we are operating before that's complete. So there's always a little bit of uh, risk associated with that. Sure. Uh, though, really, the FDA is looking heavily at people that are making uh, wild health claims about CBD, right? One of, the re- one of the other reasons we picked coffee, tea, and water is we pick things where we believe the health benefits of CBD naturally enhance the function of the beverage itself. Coffee wakes you up. CBD just helps to uh, mellow out that like jittery feeling that you can get from cold brew, yeah. right? Uh, I don't even drink caffeine. I drink, I'm strictly decaf. But yeah, so if, when I saw that... So chamomile, you, right? Yeah. Chamomile naturally helps you sleep. CBD has this natural relaxation that will also make it easier to kind of fall into bed and ease into the night, right? So we try to pick things that balance naturally with it. But you'll see people out there making outrageous claims like, you know, using CBD will cure your cancer. Uh, it's There's some pretty crazy stuff out there right now. So obviously the FDA does not want that, right, mm-hmm. and uh, wants to prevent that from happening. So they're being particularly strict in those types of cases. But we're also working with, you know, an attorney, for example, who's an FDA expert and is actually helping advise on what the CBD regulation should be. So we're trying to do everything really as sort of buy the book as we can, even though the book doesn't exist yet, so that once these regulations are handed out, not only will we be in line with them, but we'll feel good about what we've been serving consumers. Sure. Uh, I think the the big thing is, you know, one, these crazy health claims that you're seeing, and two, uh, potency and, and dosing recommendations. You know, the World Health Organization has done some studies on on dosing, and they've shown that you can use very significant amounts of CBD before any like meaningful negative health impact, generally speaking. Uh, but the bigger issue you're seeing right now is, you know, our drink has 15 milligrams 
And we've actually gone to great lengths to have multiple independent third-party labs verify that we have the amount of CBD we say we have mm-hmm. in our beverages uh, so that, you know, if anyone emailed us and said, hey, can you send us proof or can you send us a COA, a certificate of authenticity, it's no problem for us to do that. Uh, whereas... How did you settle on 15? Was that just the recommendation? Yeah, so we settled on 15 based on a combination of sort of industry standard, what people you know, what generally people are known to have a positive impact at and the size of our beverage. Mm -hmm. Like you'll see other drinks at 25 milligrams, for example, but usually it's in maybe a 14 or a 16 ounce bottle. Ours is only an 8.4 ounce can. uh, So it's a little bit more of a a small size, potent, Mm -hmm. drinkable uh, form. You know, it's more like, I hate to use this as an analogy, but the size of a Red Bull can, Mm -hmm. uh, right? So you know how much you're getting. Mm -hmm. And 15 is at that place where you should still notice the positive impact of CBD, but not get an overwhelming bad taste, for example, from it. Uh, We really wanted to balance, like, at the end of the day, for a beverage company, taste is king, kind of, and we wanted to have things that taste really good. Sure. Uh, So it kind of sits in that sweet spot. The problem is, you know, like you said, you have oil or tincture or something like that, and there are a lot of really great companies out there doing really amazing things. And same thing, if you emailed them or called them and said, hey, can you send me your certificate of authenticity or your third-party testing, they'd be able to do it in a second. But there are a lot of other people out there doing some really sketchy, shady things. And if you were to reach out to them and ask for that, you would just hear nothing, right? You get no no notice. No. And there have been a couple that have been essentially busted when someone tests their potency and they say that maybe it's a 750 milligrams in a little bottle and it's been less than 100 right? It's mm. people... So the industry being regulated, I think, is actually a good thing. I, I think it should be regulated. There's so much misunderstanding. My God. I mean, the money you, the state makes back alone is worth the regulation. Of course. Colorado uh, is... I mean, my sister, my sister-in-law lives out there, and the stories they tell us about the the, like, the amazing impact of that. Yeah, I mean, it goes even further on the true sort of rest of the cannabis world, the tax you know, revenue and things they're mm-hmm. bringing in. Hey, Colorado is very progressive. In uh, Denver, they've legalized, uh, you know, sort of mushrooms, Shrooms, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so Which, the, again, I think every, I think if you legalize it all and you can regulate it, I mean, that's that's the best. But the shrooms one, I was surprised about because the yeah <laughs> driving on mushrooms would be like very yes. <laughs> very dangerous. So I, I can't claim to be the expert on hallucinogens or anything like that. All I know is. Places are starting to look into legalization, and there's been a resurgence in the medical community uh, looking into the effects of microdosing these things. Right, I've to heard the point about where you, you know, you're actually not really impaired. Yeah, uh, but they believe it has really positive psychological effects. Like I said, the not I, an expert here. I read that the word is inspired. You feel inspired yes. all the time. Yes, so that is what pretty you know, it, it sort of like heightens your awareness. You feel inspired. There are many people more qualified in that than I am, but I do know that that's like a, a trend that's yeah. sort of following behind the cannabis trend. Yeah, um, that you're starting to see in select areas. Well, like I have Denver. toddlers now, so by the time <laughs> they're old enough to take care of themselves, <laughs> maybe I, I can that, do it. I suspect the cannabis will certainly be federally legal by well, that yeah, point. So. Uh, you know, the the psychedelics and the mushrooms. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Time with that, yeah. But yeah, the cannabis will certainly. You know. When you look at just very general blanket surveys, it's something like 60 plus percent of the U.S. wants federal legalization for cannabis now. Um, So it's becoming politically, you know, easier and easier to head that direction, which is why you see 
more and more states legalizing recreationally or at least medicinally, mm-hmm. right? Like it's pretty widely accepted that there are a lot of great medicinal uses for cannabis. Sure. Uh, so, you know, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's, I think, 30-some states that have at least medicinal use. Mm-hmm. So you're already well over half the states in yeah. the country for that. Um, you know, so I think you're going to see more and more of it. It's, you know, having lived the last several years in California and Washington, legal states, uh, like you said, it is amazing to see the um, the tax impact of things like that, as well as, frankly, just the uh, consumer knowledge and understanding you know, one of the good things about legalization, and even in the CBD space, call it regulation by the FDA, like I said, is you get clear, understandable guidelines for consumers. So you know what you're getting, you know how much you're using, what the effect of that amount should be. Yeah, it's not like this sketchball idea when right. I was 18 being like, oh, like this will like make you really hungry and tired or yeah, whatever. Exactly. I mean, just guessing what it's going to do for you. And I think that, that, like I said, that's true even of CBD. So even though hemp is legal, having further regulation around it so people... Just a lot of confusion. People think it'll get them, thinks it'll get them high, right? Mm-hmm. People assume, hey, CBD, I can't use that during the day or if I'm going to work because I'm going to be high. Well, no, it's not going to get you high at all. It ha- should have no THC in it, essentially. Um, Who you do know. you recommend it most for? I mean, is that do you, is you think it's for absolutely everyone, or do you think? Yeah, I think that you know my general feeling on it is, for most people, there's very little downside from it. Uh, it is, you know, I'm not a FDA researcher. I'm not a doctor. So, you know, this is purely my opinion on it. Uh, But given the sort of known effects are things like anti-inflammatory, anti-anxiety, sort of relaxation and mood enhancement, they tend to not be things that are, um, you know, they're not intended necessarily to treat some sort of specific illness or disease or problem. They're things that are sort of natural mood or life enhancers, right? Like wouldn't everyone benefit from being like a little less sore after they say exercise or a little more relaxed and less anxious? Like Mm -hmm. I'd venture to say that most people at least would. So especially for our drinks, I would say it's really if I wouldn't tell you to start drinking cold brew if you have no caffeine, right? Because you're still going to feel jacked up on caffeine. Uh, But if it's something that's a part of your natural sort of daily routine anyway, a nice sparkling water or chamomile tea or whatever it might be, it will generally be an enhancer of that. It will it will make the experience a little bit better. It will, uh, you know, help you relax at night a little bit more, whatever the case may be. Um, like I said, I think that, you know, we're still a little bit away from a broad consumer understanding of the effects. And these things, like all things, will affect everyone a little bit differently. Caffeine, some people Two people could drink the exact same amount. One person could go to bed 10 minutes later. The next person might be up for the next two days, I would be right? Like in the hospital. Right, exactly. Like people dilated <laughs> and I'm shaking. I just can't have it. So, yeah. so you, I mean, right. Proceed with caution, like with everything. Yes, of course. Yeah. So your partners, as you mentioned, are from Baltimore, sort of serendipitously, um, where you met them in New York. That's right. And... How do you think the tech scene is a little bit different? Because you guys are all in California now. So they're actually still in New York. Oh, they're still in New York. Uh, yes, yeah, okay. so we have offices in New York City and in L.A. Okay. Uh, so we sort of have a bi-coastal thing going on. And actually, our company is set up to be fully remote. Uh, so we hire or you know, are starting to hire people all over the country. Uh, sort of with the advancements in video conferencing, tools like Slack, things like that, it's shockingly easy to work anywhere at this point and still have it 
at least if you're intentional about it, uh, still have it be a very productive work environment. You know, when you have one person that's somewhere else and everyone's in an office, it gets a little difficult. But when everyone is uh, dispersed, it's a little easier to be intentional about being remote and make it really productive. Uh, so we're everywhere. But they're in New York and I'm in L.A. Uh, you know, each one is very different. And like I said, I was also in San Francisco and uh, Seattle recently over the last few years as well. You know, I think the thing about Baltimore is it's it's definitely much smaller. It's it's a smaller community, particularly in the consumer space. There's a, tons of amazing uh, healthcare technology, biotech, pharma, cybersecurity, things like that coming out of Hopkins, Maryland, and sort of the D.C. Maryland court, D.C. Baltimore corridor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Zero Fox and others here have shown you can be wildly successful in those sectors in this uh, city. There's definitely a lot less on the consumer side of things. So, you know, consumer-facing mobile apps, tech startups, packaged goods, there are certainly some. Uh, one of the things I loved about it, and, and having run Parking Panda, which was a consumer application here, is because the community is smaller, it is very supportive. Like, it is much easier to sort of rally support from be it local businesses, the rest of the entrepreneurship or technology community, uh, you know, even local universities and things like recruiting talent, like there's much less competition, you know, stuff like that. Um, the, the downsides to it are certainly things like access to capital. Uh, you know, there's, if you don't have an established network outside of the area, um, you know, in places like New York, San Francisco, et cetera, it's certainly harder to get access to the money you might need to build a large consumer in particular company. Yeah. You know, when you think about the world's biggest consumer companies, the Facebooks of the world, um, you know, they had to be at a very large scale before they made significant revenue. Even Parking Panda, we had to do a lot of transactions before we were making significant revenue. Um, and that requires venture capital and things to help you get off the ground and hire while you scale. Uh, and th- there's just simply less of that here. Uh, you know, as there are more and more successful entrepreneurs here, I think it will, you know, continue to grow. You've had some great successes like Millennial Media mm-hmm. and, you know, a few others. And as those people continue to reinvest in the community, it gets better. Uh, but it's, you know, still a, both a smaller city and from a sort of technology and entrepreneurship's perspective behind the large exits that exist, particularly in Silicon Valley, but even in New York. Mm-hmm. Um so, I, you know, I think there are advantages and disadvantages. I loved running Parking Panda here. We were able to hire amazing people that, you know, we were one of the most exciting places they could work, right? Were you based in Federal uh, Hill? Yeah, the yeah. office was in Federal In fact, there's still an office. The company was acquired by Spot Hero a few years ago, and there's still an office in Federal Hill. Right. Um, they didn't, you know, force everyone to move or anything like that, which was great. Uh, you know, the downside is certainly there's, like I said, less access to capital and other um, other people going through the same thing. There, there's certainly, you know, one of the advantages of when I started the company being in New York was that there are a lot of other people at the same stage sharing the same challenges that you could sort of knowledge share with and either bond or learn from through mutual experience. There's just a little bit less of that here. Uh, but like I said, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of San Francisco because that's all it is, right? Mm-hmm. You there diversity in ideas and values and like different learning experiences is really valuable and in san francisco there is my personal opinion obviously there are most of the world's largest tech companies are there for a reason 
one of that being capital, but like you're getting to the point where not only is living exorbitantly expensive, but everyone is doing the same thing all the time. So you get no access to anyone who has like a real diversity of experience. Yeah. Well, uh, and as those cities sort of become saturated in that way, do you think that these more mid-level cities will start to oh, yeah, get the overflow? You're already seeing a, a huge surge, like sort of growth of uh, entrepreneurship and technology companies in particular in what were once considered second tier cities, you know, Chicago, Austin, things like that, at least from a tech standpoint, very large cities, sure. but growing in the technology community. And then you're seeing actually DC, and then you're seeing the next layer of cities becoming increasingly popular as well. So places like Baltimore, um, you know, Detroit actually has like a really kind of growing mm-hmm. rapidly tech scene, Portland, Oregon, places yeah. like that, because the cost of living is lower, the you know, talent pool is still really strong and not being gobbled up by the Facebooks and Googles of the world. Uh, and they're cities that young people want to live in, right? Like people love Portland. People from this area love Baltimore. People want to move to and have access to like great jobs that can keep them here. Uh, so it's like behooves companies to be in these places. I think for us in particular, one of the great, you know, one of the reasons I moved to LA uh, for this business, one was partially personal, like we had, you know, been traveling to LA regularly and sort of fallen in love with the Venice, you know, living a mile from the beach, having it be 75 degrees all year round. My dog loves to sit outside on the back patio in the sun, Mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, But also from a business standpoint, you know, I was mentioning there's still a lot of education to be done of consumers in the cannabis world, both the sort of legal marijuana in California, but also the CBD world. But in California, it's much further along. People have a much stronger, the general consumer has a much stronger understanding of the differences, say, between cannabis and CBD, the benefits of CBD, why they'd want to consume it, how they might want to consume it, things like that. So when you look at, you know, your most likely consumers, as well as your most likely retailers, stores that would want to stock our product, for example, California is a much stronger and frankly, much larger market than somewhere like Baltimore is. Uh, so, you know, there are advantages of both. And, you know, one of the things I love about LA versus San Francisco is it's a huge city, but the, and there's certainly large tech companies, Snapchat is there and others, uh, but it's not primarily tech. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's still, for me, a really great sort of diversity of things that people do. You know, the business is Hollywood there. So there's lots of people in Hollywood, but over in Venice, it is more it's more tech heavy. There's lots of amazing CPG brands in Venice there. It is really, yeah. So they call Silicon Beach is sort of the area between uh, LAX and Santa Monica. Basically, that beach area between Playa Vista, uh, Venice, Marina del Rey, Santa Monica is where Snapchat is. It's where Facebook has their office. It's where Google has their office. It's where most of the uh, sort of other tech startups in the area are. Um, you know, there are even some like large gaming companies and things like that there. Uh, so you still get that tech buy, but there's also lots of other CPG. There's lots of other um, people that are just doing all sorts of different things, and particularly in that area in the health and wellness space as well. So, you know, there's everything from the plant-based jerky company that I was meeting with the other day, right? So it's mushroom-based beef jerky instead of actual beef to, you know, some of the city's best yoga studios that might actually want to carry our product, right, Uh, to some of the finest sort of 
gourmet grocery stores like Erwan. Uh, so it's like a really good uh, sort of culmination of all the things that fit well in sort of the CBD and food and beverage industry right now. That was actually one of my questions. Are you uh, working off of a retail model or a subscription model? How are you getting your product out? Yeah, so we're a combination, I guess is the best way to describe it. But we launched our product direct to consumer. So you can actually go to our website and order a seven pack to be shipped directly to your home. Yes, we it's a seven pack. Uh, we wanted to do something a little bit different. Uh, you know, going along the lines of CBD is most valuable when consumed regularly. Uh, you get it's one of these things where you I get didn't know that. Yeah, so oh, I thought it was kind of a as needed thing. So unlike a lot of other, um, you know, a, a drug or or an antibiotic or something like that, where you build a resistance. Uh, some of the early studies are actually showing that the more regularly you use CBD, the more value you actually get out of it. So, you know, if you're using a tincture, an oil, or having a beverage, if you do it once a day or twice a day, every single day, that's how you actually really get, like, if you want the true anti-inflammatory effects, for example, using it once will do something, but using it regularly will help regulate that part of your body, your sort of endocannabinoid system. I do it like once or twice a week with tea before bed if I didn't sleep well the night before. Yeah. And so for... Just just like do it every night. Yeah, exactly. So just, you know, if you have a, if you already are having a tea every night, for example, if you just drop it in there every night, it'll help you. If you guess where I got it, I'll just buy yours. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Uh, Our chamomile is actually coming out Labor Day. Uh, And... That's part of the reason we're doing a seven pack. One is it's unique and it's certainly valuable from a marketing standpoint. Uh, but two is, you know, we are actually about to introduce subscription as well. And we figured why short you a day, mm-hmm. right? If it comes Monday morning, why wouldn't you have one for Sunday before your next package comes? So let's sell it in seven packs. Yeah. Uh, and, and going direct to consumer really, or initially at least, really sort of allowed us to control the rollout, how fast we grew, make sure that sort of the business operations and logistics behind it were were strong and were sound, so we didn't get into a place where you would order from us and you'd have to wait six weeks to get it. Where we are right now is, you know, if you order from us, unless you order on, you know, a Saturday night and have to wait over Sunday, you should get it within two days. In some places, it'll even be next day. Um, and that's just with the regular shipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we now are looking at where we can start to expand to retail. So we're expanding directly to select retail, the folks that, you know, per particularly interested in carrying CBD, but actually even distributors and wholesale now as well. Um, so one of the great things about the space is CBD is very popular right now, but we also, you know, picked on trends in the sort of ready to drink beverage space, coffee, tea, water, that are rapidly growing themselves outside of CBD. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a lot of inbound interest uh, from both retailers and distributors that are, we don't, you know, we of course have a sales process where we go reach out to people, um, but there's a lot of people coming to us. It's not, uh, we we haven't finalized things yet, so I, I won't say their name, but actually not knowing we were from Baltimore, a retailer here in Baltimore reached out to me asking about selling, stocking and selling our product. Uh, so, so I, ca- Baltimore gets its I called them back there. and was like, Everybody's Hey, we're actually to... from Baltimore. Like I've, I've been there before. I used to live right down the street from you. Uh, so actually you'll be able to find it here in Baltimore in store soon. I'm going to find uh, that off yes. there. <laughs> I'll keep it a secret. Uh, and hopefully many more places, you know, coming up as well. But yeah, it's, you know, we really, I think the great value for us in particular, but for a lot of brands in, in retail is one, the accessibility to the consumer, uh, in sort of their everyday life. And two, 
call it the ability to try the product, right? So we sell in seven packs. It's hard to ship one can to your house. doesn't make sense for us. doesn't really make sense for you to have one can shipped to your house. Uh, but or if the it's, environment. Or the environment. And we can talk about that. But, you know, we like one of the reasons we use cans is because they're, you know, much more sustainable than plastic, for example. And we're doing, you know, we're certainly not the best yet. We're a very small company, but we're doing everything we can to be as sustainable as possible. Um, and shipping singles would not be, for example. Uh, but, you know, if one is in the cold section of the bodega or the grocery store that you walk into and you're looking for a cold brew and you can grab one and try it and see what you think, it then becomes much easier for you to go and, you know, sign up for a subscription because this becomes your regular coffee. And, you know, our price point is certainly on the higher side. Uh, you know, we average about $6 for, for a beverage. Uh, but when you look at the other things you know, the non-CBD infused versions of what we're selling, high-end teas and cold brew coffees that use fair trade organic ingredients, you're typically seeing, you know, $5 plus anyway. Mike just spent five bucks in a cold brew on the way here. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we think that... In a choosing, plastic container. So, in a plastic container. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, aluminum is the most eco-friendly. Mm-hmm. Glass is good too, but shipping glass is not very eco-friendly. No. Or you know, it's safe. <laughs> in <Yeah>. many cases, <laughs> you have to go to great lengths in your packaging to make sure you don't break it. Uh, and, and plastic, while in many ways the easiest to manufacture, is obviously the least sustainable. Um, but yeah, we want to give people the option to have access to these beverages in whatever way best suits their life. So if that's to have it delivered to your door every Monday morning, that's perfect. But if that's, you know, your daily routine is to walk into the corner store next to your gym on a regular basis and grab a drink too, then that's great as well. Uh, so we want to be wherever, you know, it's most convenient for you. Uh, and that, that gets easier and easier as, like I said, you know, regulations become more clear. Uh, consumers become more familiar with what the product is and what it does and why they'd want to consume it. Uh, so it's it's a good time to be in the business. I am going to bring this back to Baltimore because we are, in fact, a Baltimore podcast. Of course. <laughs> Despite this is how fascinating this has been. This is all <laughs> pretty cool. Um, so we end each podcast with a recommendations okay so i know you're not you haven't been living here recently but if you want to answer them anyway sure we'd love to hear your it's thoughts. only been a few years since i've been here okay. and like i said my family does still live here and where did you live uh, when you lived here so i throughout my time in baltimore I, I spent a little bit of time in mount vernon i lived in fells point for a few years and uh then in canton mount vernon I yeah I've- and, of course, Parking Panda's office was in Federal Hill, so right. I sort of did the full tour of many different neighborhoods. Spent a lot of time in Hamden, never lived there, but I love it, you know. We're very similar. I'm in Hamden <laughs> constantly, but we okay. live there. Okay, so cool. Then you're going to have good answers. Okay, where is your favorite place to have dinner? All right, I'll, I'll give you sort of two different things on this one. One is there's a tiny little place on the corner uh, of Linwood in Canton called Chris's Seafood, that is my one of my favorite places to get crabs, steamed crabs. Okay, it, I'm writing that down. in the city, but it feels more like it's in Dundalk. <laughs> uh, it's just, and not in, in the best way possible. Like, it has some of the best steamed crabs that you can get, uh, in my opinion, at least in the city. Uh, so I, I live not far from there and used to get food from there all the time. Uh, and then from a purely, uh, you know, straight up, dinner perspective you know i 
not to be cliche, but I was always a, a huge fan of Woodbury Kitchen when I lived here. Uh, you it's know, a popular S- answer. Spike's food is some of the best in the city, uh, and and for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone knows that, so my recommendation would be to go get steamed crabs or even a crab cake uh, from Chris's in Canton. All right. Um, favorite place to get a drink and or favorite cocktail? Okay. Uh, I'd say my, my current favorite, so when I... Lived in Fells Point uh, back in the day, un, you know, very unfortunate at this point, but I lived right by One-Eyed Mike's, and One-Eyed Mike's was my neighborhood bar uh, back when Mike still owned it, and it was, like, it was a true neighborhood family bar that also, like, had great food. You know, we could walk in, and no matter how crowded it was, if they knew you, they'd make sure they found a place for you at the bar. Uh, you know, I think I went through 12 bottles of Grand Marnier. This is over years. I wasn't drinking a ton. I was going to ask about that. This is, over year, this is over years. It's not like it was, it was crazy. <laughs> it's a bad uh, month. <laughs> yeah, but uh, one I Mike's. And, you know, still to this day, I, uh, you know, when I come back, what I remember, I, I still love Lobo which is, you know, started by the GM, and Mike was an investor in that business as well. I think that they just do a great job with making you feel welcome, particularly if you sit at the bar, best bartenders, you know, things like that, I think are kind of my my favorites. Cool. Um, and then one more food question. Favorite place to go on a date? Man, that's a... You can so repeat I haven't, an answer if you want. I wasn't dating when I was here, really. Okay. Um, you know, and Faith and I have been together since... So I don't... Worth mentioning, Faith is in the studio. Yes, so. Faith is in the studio as well <laughs> right now. There's a little now. pressure. Oh, that that's a great, and that's actually a great restaurant too. There's a little Peruvian place downtown called Puerto Five One One that is also BYOB, correct? Uh, so you can actually like take a bottle of champagne in there with you, and they'll literally throw it in their freezer for you and keep it cold. It's this tiny little Peruvian place run by a Peruvian family. We rented it out for my birthday one year. Okay, not rented it out, but we like. There's only there's only a few that seats in really there. Sounds really fabulous. Ex- exactly. Right. No, you can. Oh my God, that's right. You were there. <gasps> <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot about that. That's crazy. Yeah, it was two, no, three years ago. Ooh, I'm getting older. Um, yeah, Puerto 511, 511, however you say. Yeah. yeah, it's there's only like 10 or 12 it's seats. It's tiny, so. it, and you're like, the kitchen is basically like a townhouse kitchen right next to you. Yeah, so then we didn't uh, rent it out. We just had a big table. I'm that's the whole restaurant. Same thing. Yeah, okay. That's the whole restaurant. So uh, that that is definitely one of, my, one of my favorites as well. Good spot. All right, favorite place to be outside? So... I'm a big runner, uh, so I think my favorite place, you know, during the week, loved running just around the water. I could run all the way from Canton to Fort McHenry and back. Uh, if you needed to get a nice long run in the city, it's, you know, amazing access to sort of just an easy and beautiful place to run. Uh, and then, you know, there's some really beautiful state parks. Uh, I grew up in Rock State Park, which is not terribly far from the city. Uh, and getting outside to hike and run in those places that we have access to is sort of my favorite. But I think, you know, as a runner, being able to literally walk out my door and sort of run along the uh, promenade around the harbor was my favorite thing. So the whole city is your favorite place to be outside. That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) Okay. And then the final is um, favorite place to buy a gift. Favorite place to buy a gift. Uh, I think it depends on what you're buying, of course, but... And assuming it's still there, I haven't been recently, but uh, right on Cross Street, there's a little store called So Botanical, I believe. Or I love So Botanical, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so an old investor in Parking Panda, it's him and his wife that own that that own that store, actually. Uh, and, you know, they make all of their own uh, soaps, aromatics, like all of oils, all that stuff. Nick's not the first person to say that either, is he? There have been a couple of people. That's a good spot. Yeah, so... Yeah. 
the Cangelosos that own that store are great, and it's one of the like truly locally owned, locally made, like really high quality products, at least as far as I know, <laughs> uh, in the city. So that would definitely be my recommendation. Yeah, I bought a um, this really beautiful diffuser from them, and about three months in, my daughter, who's she'll be, she will be two next month. Okay just picked it up and like looked dead in my eye and she just like dropped it. Oh no. And it just shattered. And I was like, <gasps> she's not happy with her. It's great for them because you have to go back and buy another one now. <laughs> sure. Well, maybe, maybe someday. Um, well, thank you so much. I've learned a lot and I wish you all the luck. It's a really cool company. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's good to be back in Baltimore. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Their products are rolling out this fall, and you can visit drinkgoodday.com or follow Drink Good Day on Instagram to learn more. For past Hey Baltimore episodes and info about everything happening downtown, go to our website, godowntownbaltimore.com. Hey Baltimore is edited and produced by Mike Evitz and made possible by Downtown Partnership. Our theme music is by Super City, and I'm your host, Megan Eisenach. Thank you for listening.